Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network In Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with Caroline Bruno, Deputy Editor of French aviation media outlet Aérospatium, live from the Paris Air Show. So please forgive the sound of military jets performing aerial displays in the background as we talk about what the Paris Air Show, the Salon du Bourget, means for the aviation industry here in France. We'll also talk about the growth of the services industry, the moves within French politics to ban domestic flying, the need to inspire future generations into the aviation industry, and much more. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. As you draw the lats for your tray table, consider the texture and form of the tray, shaped specifically for your in-flight service convenience. That's Bolteron. Learn more at boltaron.com. Now, onto the show. And welcome to Le Bourget. I'm here with Catherine Bruno, Deputy Editor of Aerospatium. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. So how many Salons du Bourget have you been to? Uh, probably um, 18. <laughs> <laughs> My dad was working in the industry and every single time there was a Bourget I came. So since I have, I'm a very little girl, I've been here every two years. <laughs> Amazing. So how's it changed over the years? Well, it becomes bigger and bigger, of course, but I must say the last couple of years it became less interesting for the public because of the lack of the new program and people love the images. So there have been less of Le Bourget in the French news, which is a bit sad for such a big industry here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and obviously this is in the context of the Farnborough Air Show cutting out entirely its public air days, right? And one of the, the, the whole points of, of a big air show like this, especially with the public flying displays, which you can probably hear going on outside perhaps being announced, um, part of the whole thing with that is to inspire a next generation of aerospace engineers, aerospace workers of all kinds. Um, and that's, that's going to be a real issue for France, I think, in terms of getting the, uh, the right mix of skills, the right number and, and mix of people interested in the industry. Well, it's actually already a problem because uh, there's 10,000 positions open and they can't just figure out how they would get the engineer, how they would get the technicians they need. So uh, here in the air show, they've opened the um, anonymity, so this mm -hmm. aircraft for uh, new people for employment. Yeah, the aircraft of jobs. Exactly. You know, yeah. It's very big, and I think it's uh, very interesting for a lot of uh, young people and for the companies, mm -hmm. but they're still lacking uh, the workforce. Yeah. So if you don't have the picture, for instance, they're talking about uh, EBT or uh, all these new aircraft that could come and the taxi thing, but they have not shown anything flying actually so we can't really figure how the industry will look like and how can you interest people if you don't show them what they could have yeah so, so what is the avion des métiers what does it what does it look like here at the show well it's uh, kind of a big hall with a lot of uh, station where technicians are showing uh, to young people uh, what kind of job they're doing which is very interesting there's as well a university and a special school like a pilot school or engineer school that's presenting themselves and uh, there's a lot a lot a lot of of, uh, companies are actually offering positions like a BA, uh, a status. So it's still very interesting, but is it enough? Don't know. Yeah, and, and look, I think there's a huge amount of work to be done you know, all around the world in terms of filling the jobs that we see. I mean, you see anyone's commercial market forecast, and we're looking at millions and millions and millions of people who are going to be needed to operate the aircraft industry of the future. So that's one of the contexts, of course, for a really difficult year for aviation. Um, and a really different year here at the show, right? Obviously, Boeing came into this show with the 737 MAX still hanging over itself. Um, and, and yeah, so how's, how does this show feel different from previous years? 
Well, it was different, first of all, because uh, of course the sad situation of boring, you know, that's still a problem and uh, nobody can really be happy that such a tragedy happened in the industry. But as well because there was new, no new programs, so there was no image. When I say there's nothing in the news in France, it's because you have nothing to really look at. And uh, when you can't have people dream, you know, about the i 320 yeah, because it's been here around for 40 years. <laughs> right. So uh, why did, didn't they bring the Beluga XL, for instance, to have uh, this big picture? And um, there is no A380 anymore. So I think the European aviation has a lack of um, dream, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to note that the high-fly A380, that wonderful one that was unveiled last year with the you know, message about marine life, which, of course, is a, it's a, it's a hugely in the public zeitgeist right now. People are very concerned about, about environmental concerns. That's going to arrive tomorrow, uh, which is the, the day after the professional show finishes as everything wraps up for the public shows this weekend. So at least it'll be around and it'll be flying, which is great. Um, but just across the runway from where we're sitting right now in Chalet Row is this very sad looking, the first test vehicle of the A380. Um, people who might have been around a couple of years ago will remember that one as the one that had the A380 plus winglets on it. Um, which was the, the last gasp try to get the A380 some more sales. Yes, yeah, the, the, the day before the last Bourget, when we still hoped something could happen to the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but no, it's, it's been very interesting, uh, both around the, where, where Boeing has come in, but also here in France, uh, many of our internationalists won't be familiar with the current kerfuffle going on around flying domestically in France. Caroline, can you explain a little bit what's what's happening in terms of people wanting to ban flying domestically here? Well, I must say it's kind of a problem for the industry. Um, first of all, you need to know that the French people love that TGV, you know, the high-speed train. And for a lot of people, it makes no more sense to have more TGV. So this very fast train that can uh, relax take you from Paris to Marseille in three hours, then an aircraft would do the same things, but you have to travel to the airport and all this kind of problem. So they wanted to ban domestic flight, but the problem is that half of the domestic flight are just transferred. You go from Marseille to Paris and then Paris to uh, New York, for instance, or San Francisco. So with this uh, environmental footprint, which is very important, they actually disturb the message of how important the industry is for the country. And it was just before the Bourget, so that was really not a good publicity for the air show. Yeah, I mean, so this proposal was from La France Insoumise, which is the, uh, would you characterize it as a hard left party here in France? Well, the problem there were not the only one, because mm -hmm. then the Green Party, who kind of won the election two weeks ago, uh, was of course on the board. And a lot of people thought that it would be good for their image just to attack the aircraft industry, which is actually the biggest provider of jobs in France. So <laughs> really, I'm not sure about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that said, I can see some of the points, right? I mean, there is, let's look at Lyon to Paris, which is the number one route within, within France, right? There, is a, there are three TGV stations that serve Lyon. There are multiple TGV stations serving in France, including one at Charles de Gaulle Airport. The problem is you can't through ticket very easily. You can't really get a useful ticket to take you by TGV from Lyon to Charles de Gaulle and on to destination, right? There's a very restricted, it's really difficult. You, you look on Google Flights or a lot of other online ticket agents, they don't cover it. Um, only some airlines are covered. And so I think this is, this is the real problem. Now, of course, that assumes you have a TGV station near you, 
Where I live in central France, I have to take a train that's an hour, an hour and a half to get to the TGV station, and that's completely unlinked to the to, to, to the flight slash train ticketing network anyway. So if my local train hits a cow, which actually happened the last time I came Quite back. often, I would say. If a train hits a cow, I miss my flight and I have nothing to, to deal with it. Now, this is partly a criticism of the industry, but also, of course, of the, the, the people behind the, the, the rail industry as well. We need to do more on this intermodality to, to help people make better environmental choices. Well, and, and just to make those environmental choices available, right? Well, you're right, but I must... I had something to do your experience. Um, I got married four months ago and I needed to take my wedding dress to Lyon because it was being done there. So I tried to get a train ticket. It was impossible. All the trains were packed. I tried to take a flight. It was impossible because it was packed too. So at the end, I had to take a car. So I am very not on friendly, is it? It's not. You know, the problem of France as well, it's an hexagon at the end of Europe. It's very, very, very busy because all the traffic from North Africa to the north of Europe is going through France. So you have a lot of routes that are already uh, used by a thousand, thousand, thousand of people of trucks of whatever. So the problem is uh, as well the place we are in. So you can't uh, build more train, you can't build more routes, so you need more flights at some well, point. I, I think we should build more trains myself. Uh, perhaps a, a line, uh, one, this is a little bit uh, a little bit French domestic transport policy. Uh, one of the things that's been mooted is, is adding extra capacity between Paris and Lyon, taking a slightly different route through uh, through Orléans and then down towards Clermont-Ferrand and then turning re- through the valley where I live, hopefully, to reach <laughs> Lyon, which would give me some non-stop, uh, non-stop well, not, not non-stop, but no change TGVs into Paris. Um, but, you know, this is the, part of the problem that we need to make sure that we're taking account of is that when you build a TGV line, you have a huge sunk carbon cost in terms of, well, money cost and carbon cost in terms of the, the concrete you need to use and the environmental impacts, both both national, local and and international as well. So well, it's complex, isn't it? It's a very complex uh, problem. And the other problem is uh, you are destroying the landscape, you are destroying some rural uh, area where you can do agriculture. And at the same uh, moment, uh, it took a lot of time. Because uh, when you buy an, aircra- an aircraft, the aircraft goes from one place to another the next day if the regulation is there. Uh, if you want to have a train, it takes ages. And nobody knows uh, any kind of finances or the needs will be in the next few years. Yeah. So the aircraft stay something really interesting. And when you get a propeller, like an ATA or a QK400, uh, it's an aircraft that is not very much slower, slower than um, a jet. Uh, on these routes because uh, that's small routes. Under a couple of hours. But the emission is much more interesting. So you have this kind of solution and um, not everything should be jets, not everything should be big aircraft. You can have regional aircraft, small aircraft. What you have in the US for instance where they have very different uh, type of aircraft for doing different routes. Uh, in Europe, for many reasons, and uh, of course the locals, uh, everybody is flying the same type of aircraft, uh, S337 or uh, A320. Um, but the industry need really um, to make a shift. And that was perhaps the biggest message of the air show. Uh, we are waiting. Everybody's yeah. waiting. You know, from the passenger experience, nothing really new is happening. And from um, the industry itself, uh, we're waiting for the new technology. Everybody's talking about electric uh, flight. Of course, it's not for tomorrow, but at least on the Chevy, on the 
technique, on technology. Something should happen to make people dream again and to make uh, just the industry interesting again. Because right now, everybody like Boeing, you know, they give this figure like of nine trillion of uh, dollars in services in the next 10 years. Uh, they are just making money, money from the ramp up, money for all the investment they've done the last couple of yeah. couple of decades. But uh, you are not interesting the people with this kind of right. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> this, this this services business is really interesting to me. Right. It, it's essentially turning an aircraft into the razor, and the services business are the razor blades that you have to buy to keep being able to use the razor. Uh, and it's fascinating. everything from electronic flight bags to crew scheduling to maintenance to parts management to everything you need to keep the plane going, which would previously just have been the thing the airline did. But it seems that there is the, the, both Boeing and Airbus and indeed the other OEMs and, and other third parties as well. So there's a lot of money in offering these services to airlines to, to be able to outsource them. I find that really interesting. Um, and the numbers that Boeing is quoting is insane. They're looking over the next 20 years to sell about 6.8, sorry, the market for the next uh, six, uh, next 20 years is going to be $6.8 trillion. The services market is $9.1 trillion. It's 50% more, right? It's, it's, it's insane. It's madness, absolutely madness. I mean, you know, good on them for making some money, right? I mean, these planes don't design and build themselves. And with that money, hopefully we'll get a new generation of, of uh, more efficient aircraft and so on and so forth but it really is amazing how quickly this services business has taken off well it's actually today the biggest part of uh, any uh, OEM companies they want to make money on the services but just go back if you can to the um, unemployment problem or the employment problem uh, you won't get engineer uh, interested in doing services you have to sell for them, for the students, for the young engineer, the, the idea of new programs. So they can be interested in the industry and then go to the service and make money with it. But you, you need new aircraft, really, I think. And the shift from uh, programs, uh, aircraft to services is a dangerous path if you want to keep people interesting, if you want to keep Le Bourget interesting for people to come. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, it's, it, it, that, it's also, it's, it's trying to figure out how you balance the growing importance of these, um, of these services contracts with the core business of these companies and making sure that no one loses sight of the fact that actually these are airframers. You know, the person is to build aircraft. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting that this, that this services business is coming at a time where um, the industry itself is a little bit is, is changing as well. I mean, Airbus, of course, and this is something that maybe our passenger experiences aren't familiar with. Airbus is going in with Dassault, the uh, other large French uh, aircraft manufacturer at this point, which 50 years ago, if you look at Dassault's reaction to the A300, you would have never imagined. Speaking of some military aviation, <laughs> you'd never have imagined that Airbus and Dassault would be working together on a project. I mean, they were at absolute loggerheads. Um, and now they're working on, uh, I forgot what we call it in English, SCAF. The, yeah. the, the, the future air, military aircraft for yeah. Europe. Future combat air systems. That's, that's, that's it. Tell, tell us about this. So how is Airbus involved and, and, and uh, how is this going to be changing the way that Airbus is as a company? 
Well, first of all, um, the idea of a scarf is to do something European, and everybody knows how difficult it is to do something in this uh, scale. So uh, they decided to do it on a European level because just French can't do it by itself right now because the money is lacking, and for a five, fifth generation aircraft like the F-35, you need so much money. The F-35 is $400 million. So yes. What you're hearing right now is not one of it's those. Not. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> just a half just a small one. Uh, no, I think this is the. Uh, oh, it's is the Pakistani. Or is it the, the Pakistani, the Pakistani Chinese. It sounds to me a little bit louder than that. You're, you're right. Uh, <laughs> I, know, I can't hear you. But um, uh, just they decided to try to do it uh, French and American and uh, German together, and perhaps the Spain, perhaps Italy uh, is yeah. on board as well. Um, they've been working together for quite some time now because uh, that's who has a lot of uh, software, for instance, uh, for designing aircraft. So they've been building this um, bus, uh, some parts for other fighters, uh, mm -hmm. even for the French uh, military fleet. So it's very, very interesting because for the first time there's been a political decision to do something in common in defense. Now it's the plane is supposed to fly in 25 years. A lot of things could happen <laughs> right, <laughs> then. Yeah. But one of the things I found really interesting is it seems to me like for the first time we had three women ministers of state, ministers right. of defense, signing this accord. You know what I thought when I saw that? I said defense is so not important in Europe that they just give it to women. <gasps> oh! <laughs> But the, 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 the really interesting thing for, from an Airbus point of view, of course, is that Airbus's defence and space business is also growing. Um, and, and, and that's you know, been shown uh, in terms of the, the win for the Airbus uh, satellite programme to produce the latest Inmarsat satellites. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Now, from a commercial aircraft point of view, it may be that we have uh, some uh, quote-unquote distraction, that other things within Airbus gain priority, um, which uh, may well prove problematic uh, at some point for, for, for the business, right? I mean, if you, uh, as, as, as commercial aircraft manufacturers grow, the amount of uh, executive attention that can be paid to any one thing obviously diminishes. Um, so that's going to be that's gonna be very interesting to see how, how that works out in terms of, of, of overall corporate aviation, I think. Well, the thing is, uh, for a long time, Dassault, so if you take Dassault as an example, but Airbus is exactly the same, they try to balance on the both speed, you know, the military from one side and the commercial on the other side. Uh, they've put the focus a lot on the business, um, on the commercial aircraft uh, lately, so they're going back a little bit. And they've won quite a few satellites in the last couple of weeks, which was very good because nobody had done that uh, for a long time. So it was good for them, but actually it's just a balance coming back and uh, on an engineer point of view it's very interesting to have projects on a different side because uh, it's a lot of technology coming. Yeah and of course you also get to attract engineers from, from outside your normal, your quote unquote normal range, right, which is, which is helpful. Thinking about some of those other projects that are here at the show, so we've talked about the EVTOL, right, so the electric vertical takeoff and landing, right, and some of the electric short takeoff and landing things we've seen. There's a lot of that going around. A lot of it feels a little bit like vaporware. A lot of it sort of turning, well, once we figure out batteries, this will be great. What's, what's your take on this, Caroline? Ha, that's a very difficult one. Uh, first of all, I'm a bit frustrated that it has not flown. <laughs> <laughs> because it's sad to see a new project but not seeing them free. Um, the other thing is, um, 
is it really a need? And is it really possible here in Europe? You know, we talked about the busiest routes uh, for whatever is flying. Now I'm not sure that between the center of Paris or the airport you can, in reality, fly something. I think if the needs exist, that would be done by helicopters for a very long time. You know, France is the first country that has helicopters regulation and it's still not flying. So I'm not sure. And on the other side, um, they're doing a lot, a lot of progress on hybrid because mm -hmm. uh, that's the biggest focus right now. It's not anymore the battery so much. It's much more the hybrid and uh, hydrogen um, uh, propulsive aircraft uh, technology. And that's very interesting because whatever happened with the e-tor, at least they've learned a lot about this technology for aircraft. Yeah. yeah, and I think that was a message that we were getting from Airbus at this show. You know, they have the Vahana uh, concept they've new, And I think they've said, look, we, we've learned some stuff from it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to really put it in production. Um, but we're going to take it forward. And that, I think, is inherently valuable. Um, but what you're talking about, hybrid propulsion, that's that's some really fascinating stuff. And that's getting serious this time around because Rolls-Royce just bought Siemens Absolutely. business for electro uh, electronic aircraft. Yeah, sorry, electric aircraft, the e-aircraft business, um, which is enormous, you know, absolutely enormous. As a but have you seen it's the first time they're talking about hybrid for real? Because yeah. there was totally electric for the last couple of years, and suddenly right. this year, everything is coming uh, hybrid. And it's really the future, I think, because the technology already exists, and um, the power they can uh, re realize now for propellers and VTOR uh, is really interesting and could be transferred to helicopters, could be transferred mm -hmm. to some regional aircraft or small uh, aircraft. So at least what they've learned is. Um, really really interesting it could be the shift you, we need now <laughs> to yeah. get people interested again yeah i mean i'm really interested in this uh, in the efan x which is the airbus uh, and then was rolls and siemens i guess it'll just be rolls now um it's basically on the uh, bae 146 so that's the high wing four engine jet and they're pulling out one of the of the jets and they're replacing it with uh, an, an electric hybrid motor and that as a concept sounds fascinating now of course what that means the future looks like is going to be really interesting, given that we're largely in a twin jet future at this point. But I think we should probably see this kind of study like the Formula One, you know, for uh, the automotive. Mm -hmm. Actually, you need to put money on something that is spectacular, that is very interesting, that is capturing uh, engineers to work on, and then to transfer it to normal people and normal flights and normal aircraft. So, yeah, perhaps uh, it would be the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so what we do have here is we've got a couple of A350s. We have uh, an A330neo from uh, AirAsia X, TireAsia X. Did you get a chance to, to go no, on board? No, I can't. I have too many press conferences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, it was interesting because I got on board the, the AirAsia A330, right? And, and the A330 was, was on the Neo generation. Um, and it looks very similar in terms of what's inside to the previous generation, right? I mean, the, the, the real benefit there is more about the uh, the efficiency and the range of the aircraft. Um, in terms of passenger experience, so they've got uh, two rows of, uh, of angled by flat seats up front, but then this nine abreast A330 configuration down the back, which is very narrow, right? You're looking at 16.5 inch seats. And that same kind of thing is offered on uh, some of the low cost airlines, Airbus A350s. Um, our regular readers at Rum and Girl will know that, that Airbus has been uh, starting to move towards talking about that being an acceptable co uh, configuration for, uh, let's say, mainline airlines, right? Beyond the, the French leisure carriers like uh, Air Caraibes, uh, beyond uh, AirAsia X, you know, beyond that sort of ultra cheap kind of option. Um, 
that's been a real change for Airbus, um, and I think I think they've got some some real they've got some interesting strategies there, but also some. Uh, We've been hearing a lot from them about how, yeah, Airbus 18-inch comfort standards for everyone, that now seems to be being chipped away, which I find very interesting. Uh, similarly to the, the announcement this week that the uh, Cebu Pacific A330neo will hold 460 passengers in an all-economy configuration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, apparently, the airline uh, pushed Airbus and worked with Airbus to reconfigure some of the lavatories to, to add in another 40 seats from the previous maximum. The A380 would be missed. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, except the problem for an Cebu Pacific, which might you might think would be a natural home for the A380, is that you do need special infrastructure for yeah. it. You can't just use a normal set of stairs, right? Um, whereas with a, with a medium-sized twin like the A330, they can fly that on regional routes from Manila to Hong Kong, and then use the overnight to go down to Sydney, right? And look, they know their market. You know, there's a lot of uh, Philippine international workers all around Asia and indeed the world. Um, and if Cebu Pacific can help those folks go home to visit family more often, uh, help family go over to visit them, uh, you know, bring the kids out to, to see their folks. But if I follow you, you're slowly going to the NMA, right? <laughs> well, that's the question, yes. So, uh, one thing that was very much not here uh, this year was any mention beyond, we're not talking about it right now, of the Boeing NMA, uh, which of course is the new market airplane, uh, the replacement for sort of the upper 757, lower 767. It's still a little bit fuzzy. Um, and uh, to my mind, every month that we go on without uh, it being launched, the business case for it gets weaker and weaker. Um, you know, you've seen Airbus selling hundreds of their new A321 XLR, which eats away significantly at the bottom end of that capacity market. Um, uh, you know, you've also seen this week uh, Virgin Atlantic coming in with an order for some A330 Neos. Um, now, the price that they got for those, again, with the, with the pricing discussions, uh, but it's important to note that the, the engines they selected for those are the Rolls-Royce engines okay. for the A330neo. I think we all imagine they got a rather good price given the fact that their 787 Rolls-Royce engines had some very high profile, uh, not working issues, not for too fine a technical point on it, Kathleen. So we're pretty sure that they got a, a reasonable deal on that one. Um, but, and, and, yeah, and hey, look, going back to our environmental discussion, the, the more newer engines we have out there, the better. Um, they, they pollute less, they consume less fuel, um, they have uh, lower noise profiles, and that's, that's great for passengers. But at the same time, as we said, they're, 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 they just look like the old planes to most people, right? Yeah. Um, what, what, what can we do about this? What do we need to do? Do we need to, 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 to make the planes look somehow different? Do we, how, how do we make that, that interesting to uh, to, 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 to wider community outside of passenger experience? <sighs> This is a very good question. I think, you know, we have this discussion already a little bit, but the aviation should focus on what is important on transport first. You know, perhaps the biggest thing would be to have better infrastructure. You're talking about that, but uh, once we can go to the tech plane as we take a train, it would be much much nicer uh, to be in the air again and people will perhaps stop this discussion between train and plane because we need both but not on the same things. Um, what we need, uh, 
it's not IFE or a very special cuisine that people need in an aircraft. What they need is a comfort, I think, uh, which is better seats. And mm -hmm. that's another problem for uh, the cabin uh, manufacturer. I haven't seen anything that is really mind blowing when you talk about low cost uh, aircraft. And uh, Perhaps, I don't know what you think about it, <laughs> but uh, people are changing the shape, they are changing luggage, they are changing the way they're flying. So you need to address this kind of real needs, mm -hmm. which is having um, something to put your uh, iPad, something where you can work, have Wi-Fi in the cabin, which we don't have here in Europe. No, no, no. Oh, it's very it's, expensive. It's, it's, it's oh, just about arriving, you know, exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. 10 years after the US. Um, but to have people, Think about the industry or work for it. Uh, you need, I think, really core technology changing. And when you think about uh, the engine, is really interesting because uh, you need lower emission. So to make it environmental friendly, of course, uh, but just to convince people that flying is not bad, yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, and you need to come. And the Bourget will keep these uh, public days, not in Farborough, because next year there will be no public day. But they will keep because the industry needs to show what they can do. And the EPTOL need one day to fly in front of the public. The drones need to fly because people need to see what we can do. And I'm coming back to what I say: we can't dream with the F320. So we need something we can see. We hope you enjoyed this episode of In Conversation, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions. Thank you to our guest, Caroline Bruno from Aerospatium, which you can find at A-E-R-O-S-P-A-T-I-U-M on Twitter or at aerospatium.info. As ever, you can find me on Twitter at thatjohn and everything from RGN on Twitter at runwaygirl and at runwaygirlnetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.